Hi, I'm Jordan Jones, editor of Latin America Reports. Welcome back to our podcast, where we will be discussing Latin American stories for a global audience. Today, we'll be talking about climate activism in one of Latin America's indigenous communities. We'll also give you a roundup of the most interesting stories of the month. This is Latin America Reports. Elena Gualinga is a 17-year-old climate activist from the Sarayaku indigenous community, located deep in the Ecuadorian Amazon. At the end of 2019, she spoke on a panel of indigenous leaders at the COP25 United Nations Climate Change Summit in Madrid. There, she denounced the actions of extractive industries invading indigenous territories against their will and harming the environment. Latin America Reports journalist Sophie Foggin spoke to Helena for a profile piece that she is writing on her. And we're lucky because we've got Sophie with us here today. Hey, Sophie. Hi, Jordan. So, Sophie, what prompted you to reach out to Helena in the first place? So I saw a video of Helena speaking on social media. It was going around Twitter. It was her speaking at the COP25 summit in Madrid. And given that last year was such a big year for climate activists like Greta Thunberg, she was probably one of the most talked about people of 2019. It was nice to see a new voice, not just one from Latin America, but also one representing indigenous communities. So I thought it'd be interesting to do a piece that reflected both what she's like as a person and how she intends to proceed with her activism. I think that's a really interesting approach. And what did you find out? So Helena is actually a really interesting person. She grew up in Ecuador in the Amazon and also Finland. Her dad's Finnish Swede. So she spent between the ages of three and five living in the Sarayaku community in Ecuador. And then after this point, she went back to Finland, but traveled back to the community for months at a time throughout her youth. And when she was 15, she also went back to the community for a year to live. She said her school was quite flexible with that. She's still at school. She's got one year left before she plans to have a year out before going to university. So at the moment, like I said, she's balancing her activism with her schoolwork and deciding what she wants to do. So it sounds like the, the Sarayaku community, or li rather living in the Sarayaku community, was a very pivotal moment in, in Helena's upbringing. Did you get a sense of how that influenced her activism? Yeah, this was one of the things we talked about first. I brought up something I'd read where Helena described growing up in an indigenous community as a form of activism in itself. I asked her why she thought this, and her answer revolved around the fact that indigenous people, as part of their day-to-day -day lives, have to deal with threats to their environment. I mean, what is activism? Activism is to, you know, by action, create a social change. So indigenous peoples, on a day-to-day -day basis, are being activists because they're protecting their natural habitat, they're protecting the environment around them from threats that it faces on a daily basis. An interesting story she told me about growing up was in the year she was born, 2002, the Sarayaku community had to face a threat which came from an oil company. They arrived on the shores of a beach nearby and confronted the indigenous community without their permission to extract oil. So they actually went all the way to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights in Costa Rica. And we actually won against the Ecuadorian government because they never consulted us and they never got our consentment for entering our communities. And there was also um, persecution, defamation and uh, human rights violations involved. Helena 
grew up taking part in protests alongside her family. So activism has been in her blood since she was born. You know, I think it's personally really interesting the fight against climate change as it manifests in the indigenous community. But I also don't want to generalize the indigenous populations. I think that in Latin America, there are 800 different indigenous groups in the entire region. And so the Sadayaku is just one of them. Did you get an idea of what made that community unique or did you get any color around what it was like growing up in that community? Yeah, she said that her community was very small. It's only around 1,500 people. It's very remote. The only ways to get there are by airplane or a canoe. So she kind of described how the community lived off the land. They hunt fish and they grow their own food. This is something that Helena talked about as something that the rest of the world can learn from her community and how they respect the environment in terms of how we fight climate change. That's really interesting. We've talked a little bit before on a previous episode about an indigenous group in Colombia and its complicated relationship with the environment, particularly around animal trafficking. Did you get a deeper sense of, of what that relationship looks like for Helena? And, and the Sadayaku community? Yeah, so Helena described the Sadayaku community's relationship with the environment and their surroundings. She said her community has a deep respect for the Amazon rainforest. They live off the land. In my community, we see the forest as something living. So we value the forest as much as we value people. They have a deep spiritual connection with the environment. They see trees as a form of protection, birds as a form of protection, even water. And Helena also talked about the knowledge that her community have taken from the forest, things such as medicines and herbal remedies that generations have learnt from their surroundings and then passed down to younger generations. So did you get an idea of if there are any particular threats that she's trying to combat or if she's really taking up the mantle of environmentalism as a whole? So for Helena, her most important concern is stopping the extractive industries, particularly the fossil fuel industry. She spoke about how indigenous communities who are the ones that live off the land are the ones suffering the most from this industry as they don't have the resources to do otherwise. As her community in particular is already suffering the consequences, one of Helena's main goals is to stop pollution. She talked to me about a project that's about to launch in the next coming weeks called Polluters Out, which is going to be a project that involves young activists from all over the world, lots from Latin America in particular, and their goal is to basically remove polluters from all political influence and stop them affecting the indigenous populations. These young activists want to take concrete action against the fossil fuel industry by presenting demands to the government against them. I want to go back to something you said about the media's comparisons between Greta, Greta Thunberg and Helena. Greta is, in some ways, the poster child for the climate change movement, but in a very independent way. It's her face on the magazine covers and, and interviews. But I wonder if it's the same for Helena, if she feels like she represents her community or if you got the sense that she's a one-woman show, in a sense. Yeah, so I asked Helena about Greta and what she thought of being compared to her. She told me about her respect for Greta. She admires the way that Greta's managed to inspire a generation, not only inspire them, but also represent them. And Helena's goal is essentially to do the same thing, but she doesn't see herself as the leader of her community in any way. So instead, she considers herself a voice of her community and a chance to represent the people that she believes face 
threats on a daily basis. And through her unique situation in terms of where she lives in the world, she realized she had the opportunity to do this on the international stage. So Sophie, we've got a, a good idea of, of who Helena is from this interview, but I'm interested in, in what your story is about. You know, what are you interested in focusing on? Did you get an idea about you know, the deeper motivations that are compelling her? So like I said, I want to make this piece really personal. I think learning about her as a person is just as important as finding out what she stands for and how she intends to go about her activism. And I got a sense of just how important the fight is for her. When she told me a story of as she was little, she constantly grew up with this fear that she wouldn't be able to go back to the home, the community that she grew up in. So when she would go away to Finland, she always worried about not being able to go back because of the threats that her community was facing. She told me quite honestly about how she didn't want these worries and fears to affect the new generation of her community. And this is the moment she explained that she kind of needed to stand up and fight to protect the environment. Well, I can't wait to read it. Thanks so much for your time, Sophie. Do you want to tell us what we're watching this month? A report recently published by human rights organisation Frontline Defenders revealed that over 300 activists were killed worldwide last year, and more than two-thirds of these murders took place in Latin America. Colombia, where the population continues to protest in defence of the lives of social leaders and human rights defenders, was the worst-hit country, registering 106 murders in 2019. 85% of those murdered had been previously threatened, either individually or as part of the group they defend. Conservative Alejandro Giamate was sworn in as the new president of Guatemala. He replaces former right-wing president Jimmy Morales, who faced allegations of corruption throughout his presidential term. The country's new leader, who as a former prison chief ran on promises of a tough crackdown on crime, is also opposed to same-sex marriage, sexual education and abortion. Colombia's superintendents of industry and commerce ruled that ride-hailing app Uber was operating unfairly. As a result, the platform will stop operating in the country at the end of this month, making Colombia the first country in Latin America to lose access to Uber. The lawsuit was originally filed by a union of taxi drivers who have been angry for a long time about costs that they are required to assume, but that Uber drivers have managed to successfully avoid for seven years. To read Sophie's article, visit our website, latinamericareports.com, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That's all we've got for this week. Thanks for tuning in.